a lot of times value creation is a better way to approach things. And so sometimes you can look at innovation and say, is there a truly revolutionary way to look at the way you make something? So it's not about inventing sometimes a new product. It's about redefining the way that you make that product. It's about not only thinking of the product, but also thinking of the process behind the product and thinking of the user. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode six of Let's Talk Packaging. My name is Donald. I'm here with Pack Worldwide as we go through our first season of our podcast. We are really excited to have you here again this time for episode six. It's been great so far talking through different topics like sustainability, custom packaging, the pack jacket machines that we offer. And we're really excited to talk about something a little bit different today. Um, we're talking about innovation and product development and, and things in that realm. Uh, Misha Riveros is our guest today, and she was just a wonderful guest talking about what it is to innovate as a packaging company, as a packaging distributor, as a packaging manufacturer, and what a great time we had. So if you have a chance, you might want to take notes. You're going to hear all about why innovation is all about value creation for us as a company. We're going to jump right in and looking forward to having you take a listen. Misha, I'm really excited to have you on. This is one I've been looking forward to because it's a little bit different frame of mind from the other things we've talked about. Um, this season, we've talked about custom packaging and sustainability. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we released our latest episode about the pack jacket machine, uh, which came out uh, in early March. And uh, this episode will be coming out here in mid-March. And um, I'm excited to have you on and would love to hear if you can share with our audience who you are, kind of what brought you to Pack Worldwide, and what are some of the things you love about working in the packaging industry? Sure. Um, so I'm an engineer. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer. I started work, uh, well, 30 years ago and uh, have had lots of great experiences. And some of those experiences actually lend themselves really nicely uh, to having a great position like the one I have at PAC right now, which is being in charge of innovation and R&D. And what I mean by that is having had an opportunity to go around the business and have different types of roles gives me an appreciation for the word value. Mm. And now that I have a job uh, that's specifically focused on innovation and R&D, it's very interesting how you can pull from those past experiences and understanding, having been in, for example, chemical operations, having been in finishing operations, having been in customer service. I mean, I've, I've kind of gone all over the place. Um, I think it expands your mindset in a way um, <clears throat> that is very valuable for me. So when I look at innovation, I think about value creation. I don't think about drawing a box around this definition of innovation and constantly looking to fulfill that definition, which basically says you're inventing something. Um, a lot of times value creation uh, is a better way to approach things. And so sometimes you can look at innovation and say, is there a truly revolutionary way to look at the way you make something? So it's not about inventing sometimes a new product. It's about um, redefining the way that you make that product. Uh, it's about not only thinking of the product, but also thinking of the process behind the product 
and thinking of the user that ultimately is going to be having the, in our case, um, unboxing experience, if you will, as they call it. So what do I love about working at PAC? Um, first of all, I love this company. I love the culture. Um, I can honestly say that I probably wouldn't go back on any part of my career necessarily and say I wouldn't do it again. Sure. But I can also tell you, um, having been in all sorts of companies, Fortune 100, all the way, private companies, et cetera, coming to PAC, the culture is something that you cannot put a price on that is very difficult to define. All I can say is it's a feeling that you have, that there is um, a sense of collaboration, a sense of always this excitement, uh, whatever the excitement is. Um, that mixture of collaboration and the culture is something I have never seen mm. in any other company that I've worked for. And for me, in charge of innovation and R&D, again, winding it back to, um, to my role, it just feels like a very um, open environment that lends itself to establishing, if you will, a, um, how would you call it, a, just a, a, a way of thinking. Um, a way of drawing ideas um, and a way of taking those ideas and turning them into value. And again, I still always focus on that word value. I think it's the most open way to look at innovation. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, uh, innovation, you said innovation is value creation. I really do. I think I want to unpack that a little bit with you. That's a really interesting phrase. And I think a frame of mind that at least I had not considered in terms of how we approach innovation uh, but you talked about the unique environment at PAC, you know, what makes our discourse and our enthusiasm different from your previous experience uh, or, or previous experiences. Um, can you speak a little bit more to that? How, what types of tangible things have you seen? And, you know, they could be real examples uh, that have allowed for that communication that brings about that value creation. Um, it's this general attitude that's pervasive everywhere, regardless of the challenges that we have. And we have a lot of challenges. I mean, we're, we're still in the midst of something called COVID. We're still in the midst of a change in the marketplace that nobody could have anticipated. Regardless of all of those things going on, there is a culture of yes mm. that exists at PAC. It's a willingness to say, let me figure out how I can say yes to whatever's in front of us. Yes, to another challenge in terms of how can we get more product out the door. Yes, in terms of how can we think of working a different way so that we reach our objectives. It, it focuses on that word, yes. Yeah. And it, it sounds simple, but you can think of many examples where you've worked um, or even in our lives outside of work where that attitude of yes is not present. And you don't realize that until you join a culture like ours. And you say, wow, this has been missing all along everywhere else. Sure. What, when, if you were talking to someone who works for a company where maybe this is one of their pain points, uh, there, there's not this culture of saying yes. And there's not this culture of desiring for, um, you know, innovation and further developments of what they do, whether it be big picture, day-to-day, -day, whatever it might be, what would you say to them to, you know, help encourage that type of atmosphere? 
It's kind of letting go of those paradigms. It's letting go. Uh, a lot of times when you have conversations, um, there's a lot of uh, prior experiences, agendas, fears, hopes, and all of that that mm -hmm. comes into a simple exchange or a conversation. The interesting thing about PAC is that I don't think that our challenges are any harder or any easier than anybody else's. Um, I would just say that, you know, my advice to anybody who's not in a culture like this, who wants to change the culture to that, is to literally train, train yourself um, whenever you have an exchange with somebody to approach it from the attitude of it can be done. Mm. Because once you say it can be done, that's your headline, right? So you have a vision for something. You have a strategy for something. You know, we've always made our product this way. What happens if we do it that way? Start with the headline that says we're going to get to that and work your way backwards. It's all about vision. It's all about that um, almost kind of intangible statement that says we're going to figure out how to do this a different way and say, it can be done. So what are the steps that it would take to get from now to it can be done? I love that. I have a, a career mentor that said says a similar thing. It just is, is one of those things that is ingrained in me at this point. Um, would always say, speak life into your life. And that was more of a life advice, not necessarily specific career advice, but that it can be done mentality. That's the same sort of thing. If, if you speak or, or come into a scenario where you're, you are bringing skepticism into the task or skepticism into, um, the, uh, opportunity, um, th then that's how the mentality is going to proceed with that skepticism. So I, I love that. That was awesome. You, you know what? I think as human beings, um, it's natural for us to think about the short term, right? What's in front of me right now? Um, what do I need to get done right now? What do I get a reward or not for accomplishing right now? And the contrast to that is that sometimes can drive you to not want to take a risk mm. or to not look at the yes behind something. And it's sort of training your mind to say the short term is important, but reserve a part of your thought process to the longer term. If if you're constantly worried about, did I get the product out the door today? Did I get what it said on my job description done today? It actually shackles you or it, mm. it, it binds you down into that present moment. And in the present moment, there's a whole bunch of things I could tell you right now that are a no. Right. Right. No, I can't do this. No, I can't. I, I can't even think about this. But if you just train yourself to start thinking in that in that fashion to say, yeah, we can. This is the way we can do it. And you start breaking it down into what I call kind of bite-sized chunks. It's that whole thing they talk about, eating the elephant. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's where innovation just completely explodes inside of a culture. I love, there's an old country song. And some listener is going to be laughing because I'm younger and don't remember the name of the song or the artist. And, and Misha, maybe you're a country fan. You can help me out. Um, there's an old country song where... Uh, the artist is talking about stealing a car. He's, he works in a car factory, stealing a car, and um, he sneaks a part out in his lunchbox every day. And, you know, pretty soon, across the time he was working, he now has a brand new car. He snuck a part out from a, a 61, 62, 63, and, you know, he goes on and on. Um, might even be Johnny Cash. I can't remember, but 
we uh, this conversation reminds me, you know, bite-sized pieces. You know, take it on one. What can I do today to to take it on to the next step and and bring the next thing to completion? And uh, you know, suddenly you look back and wow, we're we're halfway there. You know, you know that that mentality of what can I do today is uh, just awesome. Yeah, you know what? I can't help you out with that song, but I can tell you that's exactly <laughs> at the root of innovation. Yeah, uh, because you can take something that's very abstract. It's almost maybe even you could put it in the category of scary to be thinking about possibly do this or possibly come up with this type of product. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm all about write your headline. What is it that you want to say is the success? And once you've written that headline, you say, okay, how do you make that happen? Mm-hmm. Most people don't think that way. And what happens is you just become overwhelmed and you say, I have no idea how we would get from here to there. Well, turn it around. How do I get from there to here? Yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, I got a note from uh, the producers. I'm using in quotes because that just means I Googled it real quick. Um, it's a Johnny Cash song called One Piece at a Time. You should, it's a funny song. You should give it a listen uh, here. Um, we're not sponsored by Johnny Cash, so unfortunately I don't know they have the rights to play that song. But uh, that that's the song I was referencing. Uh, moving into... Um, more of the process uh, of innovation, you know, one piece at a time, I think that that bite size mentality is awesome. When you go into looking at the scope of innovation, and how how do we define that process? um, What does product testing and the process of bringing a product to market or bringing a new um, type of value to the market? What does that look like for? pack or, or what does, what do you want that to look like? So as you probably know, I've been here about six months, right? So I can tell you what my journey has been so far. Um, and it is part of the plan. Yeah. You need to spend a lot of time up front, not worrying about I just took a job. I have a title of innovation. I need to go to somebody and say, I have an idea that's (laughs) innovative. Or here's a list of five innovative ideas. You actually have to do something that is a bit counterintuitive, uh, which is putting some standards and processes behind innovation. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it sounds counterintuitive. But at the end of the day, what you want to do is you want to create an atmosphere where you're freeing the mind to be mostly thinking about value creation and not worried about some things that should be part of a disciplined standard process for how you execute on innovation. Mm. And if you spend that time up front, it's an incredible investment that pays off in spades. So what are we spending time on right now? I always say that you can describe the innovation in your business with one PowerPoint slide and you could talk about it for hours. Mm. If you've done all of the work necessary, and it's a pretty heavy lift to do that, um, if you can synthesize all of that into one slide, you can talk through it for days on end. What does that slide contain? It contains four blocks. First block, we're working through doing a, a an inventory right now, I would call it, of our current technology capabilities. Why is that important? Because we have to start out with what is it that we know right now? And then the first thing we do with that is we say, of all these technologies that are currently in our basket, are we leveraging all of them or not? Is every single one of the technologies that we're capable of working 
uh, and executing on something that we're actually deriving value from. Mm -hmm. And that's the first point, because the path of least resistance is to work with something that you already have in your basket of capabilities, right? So we're working on that and looking to see, are there technologies that we're good at that we're just actually right now uh, not taking to their full value potential? Number two, what technologies are we working on right now that are going to position us to keep leadership in the marketplace next? And then what technologies and what understanding do we have of what's going on in terms of the voice of the customer, what our salespeople are telling us, where all of these ideas are coming from? Do we have an ability to harness all of that and turn it into conversations we're having today about what needs to happen three years from now? Mm. So I call that the now, the next, and the invest. So we're going through a process right now of understanding from a technology perspective, the now, the next, and the invest. What that means is we're going through um, generating what I call short bursts, short tactical bursts into developing an understanding of market intelligence where we need it. And we're looking at that and making sure that in the next and the invest, we definitely understand what those upcoming trends are and that we're talking right now about resourcing the development or the adoption or the bringing in-house of those technologies. The second thing that you do in this process is you do take that inventory that I talked about, the now, and you say, am I leveraging all of these technologies that are in-house right now and what do they look like in terms of actual applications? So you actually look at your current portfolio. Once you do that and you have clarity as to where the gaps and opportunities might be, again, as I said, that's the low-hanging fruit. It's not even low-hanging. It's on the ground. Just pick it up. The second thing that we do with that is we say there does need to be a life cycle discussion about our current products. So are there linear extensions of our current products or new features and functionalities that we need to add to our current products? Again, you want to be focused on that because there's a big payback on that. As I go back to what you and I talked about at the beginning of this conversation, a lot of people focus on there's this big box called invention and they draw a circle around themselves or, or a box, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they draw a box around themselves and they're, they're consumed with, I have to come up with some new idea. You know, a lot of times it's right in front of you. Mm. Have I looked at an extension of a feature or functionality in my current pouch or in my current automation equipment that would allow me to break into a piece of the market that I don't participate in right now. Once you do that and you connect that back to top line value for the company, you've got what you need. You've got your, your map, mm -hmm. your roadmap for exactly where you need to go with innovation. The other thing that we're doing right now is we're just creating some basic, basic um, pieces of the process, which is, how do we generate ideas? How do we capture them? Because if the ideas are sitting all over the business and you don't have them captured in one central place, you're missing a big opportunity. Secondly, once you've created that, that central location for all of these ideas, how do you know which idea to pull out of the basket and activate? So you need to have a rigor behind that. You need to have a very standard, easy to understand, easily accepted by all functions in the business, starting with finance and the top leadership of the business that allows them to always see a business case 
the same way. Once you have a standard for looking at a business case, it becomes very easy to take your idea basket and prioritize it. Guess what? Tax history, as far as I know it, has always been that somebody's come up with a great idea and we've taken it to market and we've been successful. How do you take that great model and now say, we'll have an idea basket full of 50 ideas? How do you know? Are they all probably going to be good ideas? I would say in general, they're probably going to be very good ideas. So how do you take the best of those 50? Mm. You need a process by which objectively you're looking at the business case behind these ideas and you're able to, are you, without this process, could you pull out an idea and it would be a good idea and take it to market? Yeah. But what if you challenge yourself to say, I want to take the best of those Mm -hmm. ideas because I want the best ROI in terms of value. I want the most strategic ROI in terms of value. How do I look at my business case and prioritize an idea that is just an extension of a product versus a strategic move that allows me to play offense in the marketplace? So how do I categorize my 50 ideas into which ones are offense and which ones are defense? Because you're going to make a decision differently based on where you are competitively in the marketplace. It's not just about us. It's not just about our customers. It's about us, our customers, and that whole biosystem called the marketplace, competition, legislation, all of those good things. So these are all the things that we're working on right now. Wow. Uh one of the interesting things you mentioned was this concept of the the box of innovation that people surround themselves with, whereas sometimes there's just linear approaches that you can take to expand something you already have as a strength. And I think it's such an interesting concept we've seen uh, over the last 20 years. We've seen a lot of momentum towards um, acknowledging as individuals and companies, acknowledging strengths and building upon strengths instead of patching weaknesses. You know, uh, we at PAC, we don't make corrugate boxes. That's not a strength of ours. Uh, and so we could go out and try to patch up that weakness. Um, or we could keep doing what we do best. And I think that fits in with, um, you know, career goals, fi- finance goals. Um, you know, if, if you're a business owner working with that as well, um, you know, develop those strengths uh, are often easy ways to innovate and create that value. Um, you mentioned this bucket of ideas, and I think a lot of the time when I look at product development across the packaging industry, it's a little overwhelming. Uh, and I think th- there's always new products coming to market or variations coming to market that um, you know get some traction, uh, whether it be uh, you know something that goes viral on social media because it's new. Um, biodegradable this or um, something that, oh man, this can last, uh, this cold chain item can last so long in shipping and and it gets traction with consumers and uh, it makes a great headline. How do you sort through those opportunities uh, when it comes to seeing the crowded atmosphere of packaging and product development across the world? How do you parse through those ideas to pick out the ones before they even get to our internal process. How do you how do you do that, Misha? A couple of things. First of all, when I walked into uh, PAC, um, I spent the first several weeks literally getting my hands on anything and everything that was a document inside of PAC 
and pulling out of each of those documents any statements that I heard with regard to, or that I read rather, mm -hmm. with regard to a vision or a strategy that we had. So PAC already has a very clear vision and strategy. Um, I've built upon that. PAC knows what it's doing. It's been in packaging sure. since the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and in general, the vision and the strategy that PAC has with regard to where we want to play in the marketplace, where we want to grow, uh, and where we want to have a significant presence is a perfect starting point. Uh, so in that regard, I've taken what is PAC strategy. And actually, I mentioned it earlier, market intel, these tactical um, forays that we're taking mm -hmm. into market intel. One of the things that has not been by intent has been to say, okay, well, I need to spend three months building a strap plan 300 pages long, and I need to have everybody's eyes roll into the back of their head as we talk about 300-page document um, with all of these somewhat ethereal concepts about trends in the marketplace. I'm actually taking the things that are important to pack, and that's what I call them, the things that are important and strategic to pack and saying, let's go make sure that we build the market intel there to support that. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you talked a little bit about cold chain. That's one of our strategic intentions. Um, having a um, a sustainable agenda, that's one of our strategic intentions. The understanding of uh, the fact that as demand increases, as e-commerce continues to take more and more uh, share in the marketplace, share of mind of consumers, those are three very specific areas where we absolutely need to be focused. So we have gone in there to supplement that vision to say, okay, that is a vision. What do we understand about the marketplace? What are the trends? And how do we supplement that vision that PAC has and ultimately turn it into innovation or places where we can bring value now, mm -hmm. places where we can bring value next, and places where we should be investing for you know, critical value in three to five years? So it's just a bringing together of those two things. Nothing, uh, nothing more complex. It's just as simple as that. The now, the next, the invest. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I think it is a human, just basic behavior to want a big change and want to only have that big change and ignore the little things that come along the way that can build up towards great change. And so um, it sounds like a process built around focusing on uh, small growth and, and consistent growth, that's going to be the long-term path to big change. Um, we've made big changes at PAC. You know, we've added full-on product lines. Um, you know, five years ago, PAC didn't have cold chain products that we manufactured. And today we do, you know, that, that was a big change for us. Uh, but you know, little changes can be just as impactful. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to the now, the next and the invest. And there's something that 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 ties into that too. Um, it all starts with growing your top line, right? Mm -hmm. And when you start looking at opportunities to take your current portfolio in the now and leveraging it uh, to its fullest extent, um, taking your portfolio and understanding from a life cycle perspective, what you want to do with it next, and then the things that you want to invest or invent, one of the things that you need to be looking at is um, something that's called the sources of revenue. Okay, I have a share in the marketplace right now. Again, uh, the lowest energy expenditure comes from keeping what you already have. Mm. So 
are our products healthy enough, bringing enough value to our customers and consumers in the marketplace that I can retain my share? That's very important. So is there something we can do on the R&D side that allows us to retain as much of our portfolio as possible? Then you start taking a look at, okay, and in my current portfolio, is there something I can do to innovate, just a linear innovation of my current offering that allows me to do something called share shift, that is take share away from the competition. And then you take a look at what also do we need to do right now from a defense perspective? Because again, I said, this is a big, you know, um, biosystem. So we do need to understand what our competitors are doing and we need to be looking behind us and, and next to us and in front of us to make sure that we are reacting. There's part of innovation that is reactive. Mm. And that's the part where you want to make sure that while you're working to retain what you already have and while you're working to take more, uh, you're not losing sight of somebody that is also focused on the exact same sure. thing you are and is going to end up taking something away from you. So your net gain is zero. Nothing. nothing. Yeah. Right. Right. You gained something in the marketplace, but you lost something else because you took your eye off mm -hmm. it. I, I want to put a little bit of scope on the conversation, kind of bring things, you know, on the downslope of our podcast today. And I want to talk about things from the perspective of our specific customers and why, why this conversation matters to our specific customers. When it comes to our customers caring about seeking out new products and how we interact with them when they find uh, new opportunities or new products. How do you see that relationship unfolding at its best? Well, COVID has kind of put a little twist on any answers to these questions, right? Of course. But at some point, I think the optimal relationship would be that there really shouldn't be too much of a difference, uh, not much of a measurable difference between what our customers want and need and what we want and need. That would be ideal. You know, yeah. that, that, we're, that we are that closely aligned with their interests. And I do find that for the most part we are. We just mm -hmm. need to remember to listen. Yeah. Because at, at a high level, we can generally all say, for example, in the packaging industry, everybody does have a sustainability agenda. Mm -hmm. There is a large focus on this whole opportunity called thermal management, mm -hmm. uh, in our case, cold chain specifically. There is a general uh, consensus around the value of automation. But the closer relationship we have with our customers, and in the case of COVID right now, the more important actually the relationship between my team and our salespeople becomes critical, if not crucial, to saying that we can at a high level understand that these are priorities in the packaging marketplace, but how you go about addressing those priorities is, you know, the key to mm -hmm. how close your relationship is with your customers. Because we can say, hey, we're out there looking at cold chain, but if the solutions that we come up with uh, aren't in concert with, in general, what the marketplace is looking at and what our customers need, then we'll have a product and it'll generate value, but it won't be that maximum ROI on value that we were talking about earlier. Sure. So I do think that as a packaging company and as a leading packaging company, we're absolutely in touch with what the trends are in the marketplace. And if you were to look at it at that level, I, 
you know, I'd say in general terms, absolutely. You know, we're pretty much aligned uh, with what our customers, markets, and consumers want. The key is to bringing that down to a fine level of detail that says, and this is exactly what it translates to in terms of the actual packaging experience. What materials are you using? You know, what are your substrates? How are you making it? How are you delivering it? How are you fulfilling mm -hmm. on your end of this supply chain, et cetera? That's all about capturing the best of the critical to quality requirements that are necessary for us to play in the marketplace as partners. Because at the end of the day, we want to play as partners with our customers. Sure. So the more we, we hit on the mark what the customer needs, the better position we're in to start talking about share retention, mm -hmm. share gain, defense, all of those things. Misha, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. Is there anything else that um, final words, and, and no pressure if there's nothing, final words, something else that we didn't talk about? They're like, man, I was looking forward to talking about this on the podcast that you want to share. No, I think you asked me some fabulous questions. I think if there's anything that I want to leave our conversation with is just to say that you've given me the opportunity to talk about what I think is ex extremely important, which is how do you define innovation? Mm -hmm. And to me, it's all about that value word. It's all about creating that value. It's not about limiting yourself to some definition of innovation that boxes you in and actually curtails your creativity. So I think we had a great opportunity to talk about that. And I think we talked a little bit also about kind of where what's in my head mm -hmm. in terms of innovation. And it's a very disciplined approach, which again, sounds counterintuitive, but mm -hmm. it's literally all about understanding where we are now, where we're going, and where we should be investing in that three-year, five-year horizon. That'll be it for us on episode six of Let's Talk Packaging. Thanks again to Misha Riveros for filling us in on the keys of innovation and value creation and the phrase that will be stuck in my head for the next week of the now, the next, and the invest, which to be totally honest, I maybe got more from this episode as someone who reflects on my personal life and how I invest in myself than maybe the application to packaging. But hey, we could use it for everything. You can find us for questions and comments at pacpack.com or for searching for us on social media platforms. Pack Worldwide is the premium manufacturer of protective mailers and specialty packaging solutions for the e-commerce, courier, fulfillment, and distribution markets. Thanks for listening with us, and we'll be back soon with episodes 7 and 8 to finish out our inaugural season. See you later.